Good morning, everybody. Our God is great. If you, read, if you listen to those scriptures that we just read, uh, if you know me, you know probably I'm pretty excited about today because we get to talk about the thing that impacts every one of our lives, and that is the God Almighty from everlasting to everlasting, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He is supreme. There is no one like him. He is the only one and true God. And we don't come here this morning and, and walk in and just try to feel good about the day and hope that feeling good through the week, we're all gonna get along and everything's gonna be purdy. We look to our God who is able to sustain us and keep us and hold us and see us through. That the work that he began in us, he will complete because of who he is. And so as we have started this series of this month, and the idea behind it is to behold him. And one of the goals for this month is to cause us as a people of God to stop and to recognize and to remind ourselves who God is. So we're behold him. We will continue to behold him throughout this month, even as we look to our Christmas Eve service. Our theme is to behold him. And so when we began talking about this theme and I began thinking through scriptures, I just landed in Isaiah 40. It's such an amazing chapter, packed full of encouragement and strength. It reminds us of who our God is. It tells us in verse 9, behold your God. In fact, I love if you have your Bibles open, be there in, ver in chapter 40 of Isaiah. In verse 9, it says, go up on the high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news, lift up your voice with strength. O Jerusalem, herald of good news, lift it up. Now listen to these words, fear not. We live in a society of fear. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. It's when we behold him that this world becomes in the right perspective. So, much time, so many times we kind of look at all of this around here and we begin to start looking at everything around us and we see all these perspectives and we think that's all there is. And in Isaiah 40, Isaiah is calling a people away from their sinful ways, away from living their own way and to recognize and to behold their God and that when we behold him, it puts everything else in perspective. In the day that we live in, we need a people who, who see and understand who their God is. Isaiah is calling us right now to stop and to recognize the great and awesome God, the reality of who he is, and to behold him that we might put everything else in perspective. And today our theme is behold your awesome God. Our God is awesome. Let's pray. Father God, just, just speak to our hearts. Lord, I, I know that every time when I preach, I, I have to take time just to remind ourselves that, Father, when we, when we enter into the Word of God, when we seek you out, that, Father, we're asking you to speak to us, that we would walk, Father, after your ways in the light of the truth of your Word, and that, Father, you would speak to our hearts, and we ask that today. Father, many of us come in with so many different things that are on, going on in our lives, whether it's 
whether it's just relationships, maybe it's physical, maybe it's, maybe it's circumstances, maybe it's an, a career, maybe it's just different things that have, have bearings and, and stresses and, and burdens on us. May we, Father, take this time and step back. May we look up and we see who you are. And that, Father, when we see who you are and all of your greatness and your glory and your majesty, it really puts perspective the things that are about us. When, Father, when we're, our hearts are, are racing and we're uncertain and we look to you, Father, you bring, you bring calmness. You bring a confidence and a certainty. So, Father, help us today Speak to us, your people. Go past all of my sins, all the sins of the servant and the, and the shortcomings and the inabilities and speak to us, your people. That, Father, we might grow in Christ that we might understand truth and to walk in the light of the truth of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning, this message is, Behold Your Awesome God. I chose the word awesome. In fact, I have a slide here. I had to look up the definition because I thought so many things we call awesome, like, you know, that, that's so awesome, or that's all. We, we overuse the word, but then when you look at the word, it literally has the idea of causing or inducing awe, inspiring and overwhelming feeling of reverence and admiration or fear, an awesome sight. Isn't that who our God is? I mean, he's just, he's just awesome. He's all inspiring. It overwhelms me sometimes when I start thinking about things that he has done in my life. It's just overwhelming. He exhibits awe to me and reverence and admiration. When you talk about the slang of the word, the idea we might say something like that new white convertible is totally awesome. Well, that isn't how I want to use the word this morning. I don't want to just, oh yeah, that's awesome. That's really cool. You know, that's, ah. You know. I want us to step back and see the glories of our God. And he's awesome. He's awesome. God has done so much in my life. And the way that he opens his word, and when I read some of these passages that we're looking at today, I'm just, I'm just blown away by the, by the strength and the magnitude and the majesty and the glory of my God, of your God. That we as his people would be overwhelmed by his glory, overwhelmed by his sovereignty, overwhelmed by his holiness, that he is amazing. And we're amazed by him. So today, when we look at our passage in Isaiah 40, I was, we're going to be looking at some of these things about, about God and how awesome our God is. I tried to put them in a slide, and I don't want you to be fearful because I know you, we only got about 30 minutes here. And uh, there's a lot of really neat things about God here. But I just wanted to see it in case I don't able to get through everything, at least you would have it. So when we talk about our, Isaiah God, our awesome God in Isaiah 40, verses 12 through 26, a couple of things we, I came up with here, well, actually seven. And I know that even scares you more. Most of the time I don't make it through two points, let alone seven, right? But my God is big. And my God is omniscient. My God is preeminent. 
My God is unequaled. My God is sovereign. My God is holy. And my God is great. I don't, I don't, I don't come here I don't come here to mess around. When I came to Christ, God just, God just changed my life. This isn't something I tack on in my life. This isn't something that I think is kind of good because life kind of goes better. That isn't the reason. The reason that I stand here, the reason of my faith is the majesty of my God that he just blows me away. My God is amazing because my God is big. I know that's really simple, right? Huge, really, really big. He's huge in comparison to the earth, by the way. Look at verse 12. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span, enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in, in scales and the hills in a balance? It's really interesting that what God is doing here in his word is he's getting us to kind of see the big picture. He wants his people to see how big their God is. He, it is important that we as God's people understand who God is and just, just the significance of who he is. I, th I, I think that we need to understand that when we look at the at the reality of who he is in his person, it has a tremendous impact on the reality of what is about us. That, that we interpret the micro of the things around us in light of the macro of who he is. That when we understand in all of his glory and majesty of who he is, it gives us perspective to what's going on here. And so many times we get it mixed up, dear people of God. We look at everything around us and we determine that to be the quality or the standard or the, the, the way reality is or the truth, and it's far from it. That our God is so big, and when he, when he describes these things and he, and he begins to lay this out in the hollow of his hand, it just blows me away, like, like the hollow of his hand. Now, so what I did is I went into the kitchen as I was reading this, and I went to the little drawer that has the measuring cups, and I found the little measurings. And so when you talk about the hollow of your hand, that's it right there. It's just kind of this little hollow in your hand. So I'm like, well, how much can I hold? How much water can I hold? So I went over and I turned the sink on and I, and I did a, a tablespoon, right? And it's still running. So then I did a half tablespoon. That stayed. So somewhere between a half tablespoon and a tablespoon I can hold right there in the hollow of my hand. Are you impressed? <laughs> now, some of you guys I know are probably going to go home today and you're going to go, I bet I can hold more. That's <laughs> how we operate. And so I started thinking about this and I was like, wow, you look at the earth surface, 71% of it is water. Some points of the ocean are six miles deep. And the estimated total volume of water on the earth is 326 million trillion gallons. How much is that? I have, I'm still not sure what a trillion is, let alone add a million in front of it. You know, I, I struggle with five-gallon bucket of water. And God takes all that and he puts it in the palm of the hollow of his hand. 
He wants us to understand the, majest the majestic majesticy of who he is. And that probably just made up a word there, but nevertheless. <laughs> he's, magnific he's magnificent. Probably need some water. Our God is awesome. So what's going on here? I probably should before I try to say this next word. What's going on here, what's happening here in Isaiah 40, is what we call an anthropomorphism. And I had to practice that because I always rush my words and syllables. But what it is, is it's speaking of God in human terms. We know, we know that God is not found in a being of a, holy, of a human body. So what we do is we take words and metaphors that we might understand or help us to understand and practically explain, explain the person of our God. So God doesn't necessarily like have this little hollow in his, like we do, but the picture is that when we look at the, at the amount of water that we put in, our, in the hollow of our hand, when we look at God, it's, it's majestic, it's big. It's this picture whereby in the practicality of trying to understand the quality of who our God is, we're trying to use terms and, and, and ideas to explain him. So when he says in, this, in verse 12, it marked off the heavens with the span. What is he talking about? Well, this is a span. It's right there from there to there. That's a span. Like if I'm going if, if to measure something, I can kind of know that's about seven inches. So I can sit there and do that, right? And begin to measure. And yet we know that God marked off the heavens in the span of his hand. The nearest stars beyond the sun is about four and a half light years away. I was going to get with you, James. Make sure some of these are true before I did this. But you're just going to have to put up with me. We know that light travels at 186,000 miles a second. That means the star is about 26 trillion miles away from us. That's just the nearest star. And if we go to the kind of the nearest galaxy, HD1, we, is estimated to be about 13.3 billion light years away. I did not want to do the math on 186,000 miles per second to get all that. Try measuring that in your hand. And God does it. He just lays it out there in the glory and the majesty of who he is. Behold your awesome God. Look up and behold him. What's going on in your world today, dear people? Behold your God. Behold your God. How was it that David was able to take down Goliath? I mean, so many were running and fearful. I mean, the whole nation of Israel standing on the hill, and here's this Goliath standing out there yelling obscenities about their God. And Israel stands there in fear. And this little shepherd boy walks up, and he hears what he's saying, and he's like, who is this man? Because he saw the mackerel, he saw the glory and the majesty of his God, and he brought it into perspective to what was happening around him. And he's like, I'm going to just go with my sling. That's how God has always protected me. And we step back in fear? It's because our God is... J.B. Phillips, boy, this just came out of nowhere, but J.B. Phillips wrote a book, Your God is Too Small. And I think it's one of the problems with the American church today. We don't, we don't look at God, we look at everything else. 
We live in fear. We live in uncertainty. We, we question everything. We need to look at him and recognize that he is the sovereign one and the most high because my God is big. He is huge in comparison to this little thing called earth. My God is big. My God is also omniscient. Look at it in verse 13 and 14. Who has measured the spirit of the Lord? Or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult? And who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice? And taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? When we talk about the word omniscient, it literally means having infinite awareness, understanding, and insight. It's literally the idea of all-knowing. And sometimes, you know, we as humanity, we just think we're so smart. You know, we do. And as a culture, we've begun to, to boast of our ways and belittle the ways of God. We have grown to a place where God is, is something that is much more, if, if even an afterthought, let alone just something that's there. Well, yeah, if you need it in your life. Well, there's going to be a day when we're all going to stand before him and we're going to go, you know what? I did need him. Because he's all-knowing and he's perfect in all of his ways. He did not seek counsel when he created. Who advised him? When he was there, did he, did he come up with a, a board of directors or, you know, to, to ask them questions about how he should create? When he... When he said, let there be light, and there was, was, was there a master group behind him that really taught him how to do that? When he called up the trees and he created the animals, when he made man and woman, was there, was there someone behind him that was giving him direction? No. No, no one. No one. No one gave him advice. Why? Because he's infinite in his understanding and awareness and knowledge. He's all wise and he's perfect in all of his ways. There's a song out there that I came across this week that really jumped out at me. It's by Sovereign Grace Music. It's called Behold Our God. And there's a phrase in it, and I have a slide up there for that. There's a, there's a phrase in it that just really jumped out at me. And it goes like this. Who has given counsel to the Lord? Who can question any of his words? <laughs> and this one really got me. And who, who can teach the one who knows all things? Let that one sit. Who can teach him? Can you, can you, can you improve on perfection? If he's all-knowing and he's infinitely aware can you, can you tell him something he doesn't know? Who can fathom all of his wondrous deeds? Like, can we understand the majesty of our God? Take a moment and just step back and behold him. Behold your God. He's omniscient. He's all-knowing. He's all-wise. And you can't add to perfection. You can't come up with something and say, let me help you improve that, God. Because he is perfect. He designed, he did it in his own wisdom and his own knowledge. 
He didn't look up how-to videos. In the beginning, it said, God. In the beginning, God. And you know what? It was enough. Because he was all-powerful and able. Verse 14, something that jumped out at me that was really amazing too. It said, who taught him the path of justice? And it jumped out at me because so many times, so many, even Christians, accuse God of being unjust. Think about that. I would venture to say many of us in this room probably at times have thought maybe God was being unjust. Accusations of being unfair and unjust and unloving. Placing ourselves in judgment over God. It's so dangerous. We need to be careful. Or else we walk into like Romans 9 where, where it talks about the clay placing judgment on the potter. How, why did you make me this way? Why did you do that? Be careful that we don't swim in ultimate arrogance and place judgment on our God. The, theolo the theology here that we're seeing today and that we're, that we're being taught from the word of God is that God is incapable of making a wrong decision. It is impossible for God to fail. It's a, it is impossible for God to do wrong. It's impossible for God to make a mistake. Do you believe that? He knows all things and he's perfect in wisdom. You cannot correct perfection. And if that's true, think about the implication of that in your life. It doesn't mean life is going to be easier, but it puts it in perspective about who to trust who to depend on, who to believe. He's an amazing God, amazing God. My God is big, my God is omniscient, my God is preeminent. What do we mean preeminent? Supreme rank or importance over and above all things. It means to be first in all things. Our God is awesome because he is infinitely superior to everything else. How does that stroke you Western culture people? I grew up in the era of John Wayne, right? We can do anything. Still remember the Marlboro Man. I met one of them. Remember the Marlboro Man in the commercials? Some of you youngins don't know, but anyway. You know, he's riding down. I met one of the guys. I mean, this guy literally, when he felt fences, he just put the nails in his mouth and spit them out. You know, it's just like... Pretty impressive, right? Uh, nothing to the majesty of our God. Look at verses 15 through 17. Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are accounted as the dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like a fine dust. Lebanon would not suffice for fuel, nor, nor its beast enough for, the, for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. Look at that first word in verse 15. Behold, look up, listen up, listen. 
The nations are as a drop in the bucket. This morning I was in there in the restroom, washed my hands. I'm, I'm sure you're glad to hear that. You know, wash my hands, water's running, rinse, shut off the water, and there was a little drop. Boop, there goes the nations. Boop, there it goes. There goes the nations. In comparison to who God is, it's just a drop in the bucket. Hopefully you'll never be able to wash your hands again without seeing the little boop. Oh, there goes the nations compared to my God. I loved it. Maybe you didn't, but I just think that's awesome to remind us the reality of who our God is, that sometimes we stop and we realize the majesty and the glory and the preeminence of who our God is. He is superior over all. He's first in everything because he is God. Look what it says, counted as dust on the scales. It's like, wait, wait, yep, there's a little bit of dust, yep, there goes the nation's. Compared to my God. It's not saying they stink and it's not saying they're worthless. They're saying in comparison to the majesty and the glory of who our God is, they're nothing in comparison. Lebanon was known for its cedars. You take all the woods and the density of a Lebanon, it wasn't enough to acknowledge the glory that has belonged to the name of God. All the nations are as nothing, less than nothing. What a chapter of, in the word of God about the preeminence of our God. Very strong language here. It almost makes us feel like, wow, I mean, look at the nations. They're so powerful. No, they're nothing compared to who our God is. Very strong. They come and they go. They cease to exist. And our God lives from everlasting to everlasting. He is the king of kings. Listen to what that says. King of kings. Lord of lords. From everlasting to everlasting. The emphasis here is the absolute totality the superiority and the preeminence to the greatness of God when compared to the world when all the nations are gathered. All of the greatest nations you've ever known or read about, gather them together. All the greatest leaders you've ever known or read about, gather them together. And as you gather them together and you compare them to our God, whoop, there they go. Doesn't that bring perspective the events of your life. We just right now need to stop and be, behold our God. Our awesome God who is preeminent. He's above the govern, governments of the world. He's above the world around you. He's above your circumstances. God's word is teaching us today how great and everlasting our God is and how finite we are. Our God, he is big, he's omniscient, he's preeminent, and he's unequaled. Look at it in verses 18 through 20. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness compare with him? An idol? Now catch that, okay? To whom will you liken God? Or what likeness compared with him? And then notice it, an idol? Really? An idol? 
A craftsman cast it, a goldsmith overlays it with gold and casts for it silver chains. He who is too impoverished where he doesn't have the finances for an offering chooses wood that will not rot. He seeks out a skillful craftsman to set it up, an idol that will not be moved. In other words, it'll be stable. It won't fall. I mean, like after all, I mean, you're going to create an idol and you walk out in the morning and slay it on its face because it wasn't very stable. I mean, that's a really strong God you got there, right? In the context of our understanding here of the greatness and the perfect and all-knowing and superior God, we realize the foolishness of making idols, of creating idols. Idols, idolatry, they demonstrate that we do not understand who our God is. That's why we create idols. If the, nation, if the nations are a drop in the bucket, what is the foolishness of thinking that a human can make something like God? That's foolishness to choose gold or wood that doesn't rot. Go find a skillful craft. I mean, can, can humanity in any way make something that is like God? What is the foolishness there? I don't like using words like stupid, but it's close, you know? <laughs> How deceitful is the human heart to think so little of our God that we replace him with wood. And we can sit here and we can say, but I don't do that. And, and you know, we worship our homes. We worship our careers. We worship our cars, our hobbies. There's a lot of things we put before God. That's what worship is, isn't it? I mean, worth-ship. We worship what we find worth in. How much is God worth to you? In the midst of idolatry that we can sometimes look at everything else, but we need to step back and, and take a look and behold our God and, and is he worth my worship? When I'm all frantic with everything going on around me and I think, oh no, it's, I'm stressing over this and Things are happening, and, uh, and, I, and I start just panicking with the things around me. Step back, and wow, there is nothing. My God is so great. Not because we're worthless, but because he is a majestic. He is perfect. He does no wrong. He is amazing. So be careful, dear people of God, to put all things in perspective to who he is. My God is big. My God is omniscient. My God is preeminent. He is unequaled. My God is sovereign. How is it that we forget that truth sometimes? We need to be reminded in God's word, and that's what God's word's doing today. Look at verses 21 through 24. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? This is nothing new, dear people of God. The glories of our God and the strength and the power and the majesty of our God is not, oh, I did not know. 
It's been, it's been proclaimed since the beginning. Verse 22, it is he who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely they are planted, scarcely they are sown, scarcely they has their stem be taken, taken root in the earth. In other words, there's nothing permanent. Our God is permanent. When he blows on them and they wither and the tempest carries them off like stubble, our God is sovereign. There was a word there that jumped out at me. I mean, there's so much, but one thing that jumped out to me is in verse 22, it says our, that he sits our God sits. Our God isn't, oh, I hope this works out. Hmm. Our God isn't sitting there going, gosh, I'm str- I mean, we stress over what's for supper, right? <laughs> Our God's not stressing over things. In his sovereignty, in the way that he rules, in his power, in his, in his majesty, he isn't hoping everything works out. He is decreed it and he's sitting down and he's going through the process. Our God is superior. Verses 23 and 24, it's just like what he told us in verses 6 and 8 of the same chapter. He's just repeating it there let us, to let us know the fleeting nature of humanity versus the overwhelming sovereignty of who God is. In other words, we understand that we're finite and he's infinite. We don't serve a God who is fretting over tomorrow. We serve a God who's already everlasting in the past and everlasting in the future and everlasting in the present. Jesus stepped into our world and the kingdoms of the world could not stop him. Our adversary tried to keep him in the grave, but he couldn't. And Jesus will come again and no one, nothing will stop him from raising us from death and giving us life. Why? Because he's all powerful. Behold him. Behold our awesome God. He is big and he's omniscient. He is preeminent. He is unequaled and he is sovereign. In verse 25, he is holy. To whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One. Simple words and powerful. I think one of the reasons that we as humanity reject God is because we don't understand what holiness is. What does it mean to be righteous? Many of us, we've had parents, we've had friends, we've had people close to us, and we find them come up short in the realm of righteousness and holiness. I've said it many times from this pulpit, you hang around me long enough, I'll tick you off. Why? Because I'm, I'm just a person. I'm not righteous, I'm not holy, except by the grace of God that I stand in his presence and he sees Christ. But our God is holy. 
His holiness is so significant because his holiness means he is, he is unattainable in moral perfection. What do I mean by that? I'm meaning that I cannot be like him in all of my righteous ways. That when God revealed to us the gospel, when he revealed to us the good news, he revealed to us his righteousness. But it also made me realize I'm not. He is a holy God. He is holy. When you look at the very person of who he is, you cannot see, you cannot find unrighteousness. You cannot find unholiness. He is not like us in our unrighteous ways. He is holy. That great hymn we sing part of it, I guess, today in the Behold Hymn, that great hymn, Holy, Holy, Holy. It's taken from Isaiah 6, chapter 3. And in the Jewish language, or in the Hebrew, a lot of times they repeated a word for emphasis. So when it goes, Holy, 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 there's an emphasis in our understanding that He is holy. Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. The picture of who God is, he is holy. And if we truly understood, if we truly understood his holiness, we would fall before him with broken hearts and total awe of his glory and of his majesty. How can we as humanity anyway pick up ourselves and boast of our ways? Because our God is holy and I'm not. And whether you realize it or not, you are not either. The reason we question him about things like sin and unrighteousness is because we just don't understand holiness. And we don't understand our God is holy, holy, holy. He is a holy God. Our God is awesome because he is big. Our God is awesome because he's omniscient. Our God is awesome because he's preeminent. Our God is awesome because he's unequaled. Our God is awesome because he is sovereign. Our God is awesome because he is holy. And our God is awesome because he is great. My God is great. Look at verse 26. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these he who bring, brings out their hosts by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Here's the picture, dear people of God. Look up, lift up your eyes and look up and behold. Stop looking at all this stuff in the world. Look up and behold. And the picture he gives us here is that of the stars when he talks about the hosts. Look up and see them. Who created them? He gave them a name. And you know what? Not one of them is missing. Not one. Estimates tell us somewhere around 10 billion trillion stars. Man, I, I hate talking about stars and galaxies and all that because we get into things that just my mind can't fathom the number, right? 10 million trillion. And he has a lost one. He will not lose us either. How does he do that? It tells us right there in the text, by the power 
of his might, or by the greatness of his might. By the greatness of his might, he knows the stars by name. And here's something else. He knows you. He knows you. Back not long after Lydia and I got married, before we had any children, we were living in Birmingham, Alabama. I was going to college there. My parents were living in Phoenix, Arizona. My dad had this old van that he fixed up. He had it painted, put a new motor in it, and he was going to give it to us. So we were going out to see him that summer, and and, uh, so we went out to Phoenix. We picked up the van, and we're driving it back. We made it back over here to Blackwell, Oklahoma. There was a rest stop, right, as you kind of go in or out of the state. Stopped at the rest stop, turned off the van, and it just started to smoke, just the van was catching on fire. We're jumping out. And so I'm thinking, well, open the hood, right? <laughs> if any, the ones that are laughing know you don't ever open the hood on a motor that is burning, right? I couldn't, someone stopped me and said, don't do that. And we're watching it. Well, here's the thing. It was a, the van, we had loaded it with all of my stuff as a child. Because now we were married and we were taking this, these things. There was things I had made. There was precious items that was in it. And the, man, the van is just, just filling up with smoke and burning. So the fire department comes and puts, puts it out. These two people that were working at the, fire, at the, at the welcome center were really sweet. And they're, they're telling us where everything is. And these, this company came to tow off my van. Well, I'm like, hey, I got valuable stuff. And I didn't want to let this van out of my sight. And they said, no problem. We'll drive you there. And you'll be, be, be right behind them. So we drive over to Blackwell, Oklahoma, and I'm standing outside, and I'm like, okay, what do we got to do? Well, we got to rent a vehicle so we can have some place to go. So I, Lydia's like, well, let's go find them. I'm like, I'm not leaving this stuff. Why? Because it was, had such precious value to me, right? And so, so the two people that brought us said, they said, well, we'll drive her, and, and she can get a vehicle and, and come back. And, and like, all right, so we made that deal. Well, <clears throat> they leave, and the place closes down, and it's getting dark now, and it's getting super dark. It's been a couple hours, and I'm standing out here in the middle of nowhere. I don't even know where the police station is, and I'm starting to think, I just let my fairly new wife run off with two complete strangers. I have no idea who they are, and I'm out in the middle of Flackwell, Oklahoma, and I remember now, all of a sudden, all that stuff in the van didn't seem all that important. And I'm standing out here, and it's just getting darker. I mean, to the place where I just couldn't put my hand over my front of my face, could almost not see it. And that moment, I looked up, and there were all the stars. And I thought of this passage and some others about God and the stars. And there's all the stars. And I'm like, he, he made all of those. He, he, he never missed any of them. None of them are missing. He named them. And it was like God just kind of put his little arm around me, his big arm. <laughs> and he just pulls me tight and he says, I got this. I got this. That's, I don't know what God tells you sometimes, but, you know, that's the things God, God kind of says, I got this to me. I got this. Regardless of what happens, I've got this. I'm an almighty God. I can place the stars in the heaven. I can see you through this. And it was like 10 minutes later, Lydia pulled up and they had a car. They had to drive over two or three towns because we're out in the middle of nowhere and places were closing and, and the, the couple was just so sweet and helped us through that night. But in that moment, 
He knows you. He knows your hurts. He knows your fears. He knows your doubts. He knows your circumstances. He knows you right now. He is our awesome God. Look up and behold him. In that song, uh, Behold Our God, the sovereign, by Sovereign Grace Music, I guess, and I guess it's the chorus part, but there's this phrase right after it. It says this, I have a slide. Behold our God, seated on his throne. Come, let us adore him. Behold our king, nothing can compare. Come, let us adore him. Let us adore our amazing God. Let's pray. Father God, I do pray this morning, Father, and ask that, Father, you would speak to your people. There's so many circumstances going on in this room and even those watching online, Father, that there's all kinds of things. It's so easy, Father, to look at the immediate, to look at the issues that we're facing, to experience the feelings that we're facing, the hurts, the anxieties, the the stresses. And Father, sometimes we just need to stop and, and look up and to behold our awesome God, our almighty God from everlasting to everlasting. I pray, Father, that even now, that Father, your people would just stop to be quiet, to be still, and to know that you are our God, full of majesty and glory, all-powerful, superior, from everlasting to everlasting, the King of kings. Amen. <laughs>